I just wanted to clarify before we start today's episode that uh, no money was paid to Occult Confessions or our parent company, Odd Act Theater Group, by U.S. Ghost Adventures for today's interview. We do not do sponsored content, although I had a very friendly exchange with Azor Hall from U.S. Ghost Adventures, and she did a great job pitching uh, what they do. My main interest in today's episode was to explore how U.S. Ghost Adventures had constructed or, or is constructing the Borden House as a site for paranormal tourism, uh, and I'm sure that's something that will come out very clearly as the episode unfolds. Please enjoy my conversation with Azor Hall about the Lizzie Borden House as a site for paranormal tourism. We, the members of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Today, I'm coming back to you with a special episode uh, in our Alchemical Anthropology series. Uh, We are having a conversation with Azur Hall from the U.S. Ghost Adventures. I did my master's work in uh, paranormal tourism, and uh, so I was very excited to get a message from uh, U.S. Ghost Adventures uh, and Azur about uh, their recent acquisition of uh, a new property, the Lizzie Borden House. Azur, welcome to Occult Confessions. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So, I mean, let's do this Lizzie Borden stuff first, then I'm going to nerd out on ghosts and ghost tourism and all the fun things you guys do. Uh, Tell me about the, let's just, you know, folks may, may, I actually learned about Lizzie Borden when I was, I think, in middle school (laughs) for some reason. Yeah, were you one of the jump roping kids singing the song? I I think a teacher. I think we had to, it was like part of a lesson plan or something. (laughs) Um, But so tell, just remind everybody about, about Lizzie Borden. So it's end of the 19th century, is that right? Yep. Uh, right at the end of the 19th century in 1892, Lizzie Borden was accused with murdering her father and her stepmother with an axe or a hatchet, um, depending on the record. And both of them did end up passing away. There was a big, crazy trial that went on, the trial of the century, and Lizzie actually ended up getting acquitted, but it didn't do too much for her reputation. Um, everybody was still pretty sure that that she did it, and that legend lives on in the house where she committed, maybe committed the murders. Yeah, a pretty pretty brutal murders too, right? Like the yeah. bashed the heads in pretty badly. Yes, with a lot, with a lot of swings. <laughs> she <laughs> yes, or yeah. ever really went for it. <laughs> Uh, and it was sort of a curious case. I mean, I think a lot of evidence points to the fact that Lizzie probably did it, but she right. maybe naked when she did it because there was no blood ar- around on her person, right? Yes, she got caught burning a dress, but she said that it was completely unrelated. She just really had to get rid of that dress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you, like you do. And axe murders, I think, were not uncommon necessarily at this time period. I mean, we don't have axe murders anymore, but we don't all have axes quite like people used to. That's true. <laughs> well, we, we, we wouldn't reach... I mean, the deadliest thing in your house might be an axe in 1890, right? Sure, Absolutely. So uh, she also had a bad relationship, right, with mom and dad? Well, yeah. mom and dad. So um, from what the records say, her father was very tight with money. Um, and so there's a big financial motivation behind the murders potentially because she and her sister would go on to inherit the property 
and everything that they owned. Um, but Lizzie was very uncomfortable with how low, how far below their means they lived and the food that they ate and the clothes that they wear to the extent that she had to burn her dress because it was so ugly and cheap. Um, <laughs> that a lot, a lot of historians do believe that it was a financial motivation for her. I mean, limited opportunities to be financially independent as a woman. Um, and getting this this nice big house if she she got away with what she did or didn't do. So stepmom was when stepmom stepped in, daddy wanted to give a, a lot of property to to her, right? Yes, yes. And there was always a very tense relationship between Lizzie and her stepmother. Um she never switched to calling her mom. She always called her by her first name. Um and there was a big disconnect, and and Lizzie and her older sister both um, were raised very religiously, very conservatively, and um, it just seems like they were very unhappy with with the situation. And Lizzie was an adult, right? She was about thirty when she when mm-hmm. this happened, or mm-hmm. was she exactly thirty? <laughs> <laughs> and do you know how old she was when they uh, when he remarried? Was she in her twenties? I am not entirely sure how old she was when. But she wasn't a kid, right? No, no. And it was years after her mother died that he got remarried. And she and her sister were just still living in the house, from what I can tell. So, I mean, back to the gender issue on this. uh, She, you know, as an older, 30, right? Like she's over the hill in 19th century America (laughs) for an unmarried woman, right? Absolutely. And when the trial came around, I believe her defense, correct me if I'm wrong here, was largely that a woman of her social standing would never axe murder somebody to death or have right, or a woman at all. It took a very long time for the world to come to terms with the fact that women can be murderers too. <laughs> Lizzie's not the only one who got that that unfair treatment and on the other side of this the spectrum because <laughs> she was treated maybe a little too fairly because no one could fathom that she especially would go after her parents. Well, let's talk a little bit about the house. So what happens to the house after these murders? Lizzie and her sister moved a short walk down the street um, and moved into another house. And I'm not exactly sure who was living in the house, how it was operating um, after she moved out. But it did pass on to another family in 1948. And that family actually owned the property and started operating it as a bed and breakfast in the late 90s. And it kind of stayed in those hands until until it went up for sale here recently. Okay. So uh, as a bed and breakfast, I, I actually did a little bit of uh, podcast research on this before <laughs> before I uh, uh, brought you on. The bed and breakfast, I'm told, had some paranormal experiences and people really wanted to stay. Everybody wants to stay in the murder room, right? Sure. Absolutely. So tell me about the rooms. I, I, we didn't get into that. So where were they murdered, uh, stepmom and dad? So the father was murdered sort of in the parlor area um, on a like a chase lounge. And the exact lounge isn't there anymore, but there's a very close replica. Um, and since the bed and breakfast has been open, there have been lots of people who lay on, on the lounge and react <laughs> where he was found. Um, That's very grim. <laughs> But I mean that—that's a part of dark tourism. I mean, you got to lean into it. Right, right. Uh, so, and and then the stepmom, she was murdered in one of the bedrooms. Yes, yes. And that's where people wanted wanted to sleep when it was a bed and breakfast in the stepmom bedroom. In the stepmom's bedroom, Lizzie's bedroom is very popular. Um, the owner, our, our, my boss, actually stayed in Lizzie's room in the house completely alone while he was finalizing the sale, which 
is a bold move. I don't know if I would have been able to do all that. <laughs> wow. Or why were you guys interested maybe in acquiring the property? We So we are very focused on the historical aspect of paranormal tourism. So all of our all of our tours of our cities are very historically based. We don't do any of the jump scares, none of the reenacting clothing or anything like that. We just really like to bring stories to life. And this house, the way that it's been preserved, I mean, down to the table that guests eat dinner at is where the autopsies were performed. It has retained every bit of its historical accuracy. And it was just an amazing opportunity to go beyond just walking ghost tours and actually embody a space like that and let the house tell its story and lend our talents to sort of amplify that story and make it more accessible. Wait, so you're telling me that before you all purchased this property, if I had gone to stay at this bed and breakfast, I would have eaten at the table where the autopsy was performed? I don't know if they forced you to, but, <laughs> but the table was there. Yes. That's wild. And, and of course, you you guys have the table and, and when we walk through. So walking through that house, we're seeing the actual artifacts of Lizzie Borden's of, yes. Of the crime. Yes. There are photographs as well of the autopsy at the table. If you're if you're feeling a little too hungry and want to dampen your appetite a little bit, you can check out those crime scene photos while you're eating. That's wild. I, I mean, I, I did my work in Gettysburg on paranormal tourism, which as I'm sure you guys know, is a very popular destination for ghost tours. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have any, any tours in Gettysburg? We do actually have a tour of Gettysburg. Yes. It's our Civil War ghost tour. Yeah, naturally, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, in Gettysburg, most of the property you go through, it's the buildings are historic, but the furniture has not survived 150 years. The Borden story is a bit younger, but still, that's 130 years for these furniture pieces to survive. It's been an excellent it's been an excellent hands, lots of preservation. And the, the pieces that were missing from all of the photos of the houses, close replicas were able to be found. So you really do get the feel for for what, maybe not what Lizzie felt, but what any <laughs> other visitor in the house in, in 1892 would have felt. And all these people who've owned it for 100 years have wanted to keep these things. Sure. That's that's wild. <laughs> I'm amazed. Why, why this property? What, what, what paranormal history does it have? Well, I definitely think that, like I said, just sort of the cohesive nature of the property and, and all of the work that's gone into uh, retaining the story really drew us there. But there have been some wild accounts of paranormal activity in the house. I mean, everything from ghost cats walking down the stairs to self-rocking chairs, Lizzie maybe choking people while they're sleeping in her bed, all kinds of noises, footsteps, laughter. Um, It's just, it's been a very active location. And that combined with the well-documented story and the ease of research for sharing that information with guests it was it was just too good of an opportunity to miss yeah let's let's toggle out a little bit here let's get a little more of a bird's eye view on what you guys are up to so sure. the so you your company says uh you know the Borden house naturally it has a reputation it has a history it's a historical site and it's got all these wonderful <laughs> artifacts in it which is amazing uh it, but now you're also looking for the paranormal component I guess I'm looking for the what what makes you all decide that you would like to own a property and, and make it a destination for paranormal tourism? We are always looking for new ways to innovate and and go beyond 
just the standard walking ghost tours because you can find 10 of those in any city that you go to. And we've just been very invested in growing the experience, making experiences accessible, especially during COVID. We've gone into virtual ghost tours and all kinds of things like that. And the opportunity to go into this house that is so historic and is so well-preserved and do things like live streaming uh, for small donation. You can watch Lizzie's bedroom and see if anything moves. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Outside of just overnight guests, having local visitors come because uh, I think when you're in a place like that and you live so close, unless you're really interested, you're probably not going to book book a night at the hotel if it's right down the street from your house. Right. But if you have the opportunity to walk through and just experience it and not have it strictly be a bed and breakfast, I think it opens it up to a lot more opportunities. And we're planning events there, axe throwing, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe some murder mystery dinners, things like that. So we're just trying to take the house from being just a bed and breakfast to being a location and an opportunity for all different kinds of experiences. So what other kinds of properties do you guys purchase? Give me some examples. So this is actually our first property. Outside of this, um, we have primarily operated in in walking tours and going by properties owned by other people. Okay. So once this house came on the market and we saw the opportunities that came with it, it was was our chance to kind of move into um, owning physical locations and sort of controlling the tours versus just being able to show guests the outside of haunted buildings. I mean, that's not uncommon. I mean, most of the ghost companies, ghost tour companies around the country are walking tours, right? So they don't right. own property. It's it's unusual to own property. So um, tell me about where, you, where do you do the walking tours? Do you pick out areas that already have a tradition of walking tours or do you try to start traditions in places that don't have them? Uh, it's sort of a mix. We, be- we began in Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia. So obviously there's a rich history of reenactment with Colonial Williamsburg and they have their own ghost tours and there's all kinds of different companies, but the owner and myself actually are are local from the area. So when he was coming out of college, he saw this opportunity to do one that was, again, like I said, less theatrics and more historically based and then just retelling the folklore and the personal experiences that we've gotten along the way. So we definitely gravitate towards areas that have a history of the paranormal and we're not afraid to compete with with other ghost tours in the area but we also try to innovate and look for locations i mean everywhere has a ghost story if you dig deep enough so we've been branching out beyond the traditional salem and savannah and things like that um so a a little bit of both we're we're always looking for new cities we're always looking for tour guides anywhere that there's a story to tell we want to to be a part of telling it so uh, let me dig into this theatrics a little bit. Uh, I'm going to upset some of my Philadelphia listeners here because um, <laughs> uh, Eastern State Penn is a very popular Halloween destination. Do, 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 you, you know what I'm talking about, Ezra? Yeah. And Eastern State Penn is much like the Borden House, much like the bat- battlefields of Gettysburg or the, the town streets, really, because you're not allowed onto the battlefields because they're national mm-hmm. uh, property. But anyway... Um, it's a it's a historical location where people suffered, a lot right. of people, right? And yet, you know, if you walk by that building in October, you'll see these goofy costume characters running around. And, yeah. you know, to my mind, 
if we invest belief in the idea that there are ghosts uh, and that the reason that there's ghosts there is that something horrible has happened at this location, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea that a ghost is somehow has unfinished business in Gettysburg, it's, you know, the, all the young men dying before their lives could be completed in any meaningful way. If we, if we buy into that idea, then aren't we a little bit concerned that we're, this might sound silly, but insulting the ghost. No, absolutely. And not just insulting the ghost, but insulting their memory and insulting the idea of human life in general, I think. I, I don't think anybody wants to be the one stuck around wandering the the battlefields and then seeing someone dressed up like them poking fun at it for Halloween. Right, right. Well, tell me about this at the Borden house. I mean, you're navigating a, it's a difficult line because Borden is, it's a, a big, you know, it was sort of like a, a celebrity event. It's not a, a mass death. It's a very unique circumstance. Um, there is suffering uh, there. It's Lizzie's suffering. It's, it's the, I guess, the father's suffering being passed down generations. It's the stepmother's. Where do you guys draw lines as far as what is and is not appropriate in representing the Borden story? That is, like you said, it's a very fine line to walk. Um, I think you just have to, at least on our end, balance it with as much history as you can. Obviously, you want it to be an enjoyable experience because not everyone who comes is going to be coming for the morbid side of things. We absolutely expect to have guests that just want to see a period house that has been as well um, maintained as, as this one has and get back into that historical mindset. So we really do try to ground every, every tour, every story we tell in as much history as we can, because it's important to keep in mind that the history of a city somewhere like Gettysburg, there's so much more than just the bad things that happened, the death that happened. So we try to balance out the darker stories that we tell with the history of of the locations and of the houses and with the Lizzie Borden house, um, with information about the community and where Lizzie was living and sort of come at it um, more from an analytical point of view versus um, just trying to make people uncomfortable for the sake of making people uncomfortable. (laughs) I'd like to think when people stay, they can get in the mindset of, an investigator back then, they can decide for themselves if they think that Lizzie did it. They can see where everything happened and and piece it together and come up with their own conclusions while still having fun and doing things like murder mystery nights. So you guys are, uh, I think this is sounding a little bit like a commercial, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm, I'm nerding out on tourism here. So uh, I'm asking these questions because I'm interested in the way a building is interpreted and I'm interested in, in, in how we tell these stories. How are you telling the full story of Lizzie Borden at the house? Cause the, the house is half the story, right? The other half the story is the trial. Absolutely. So, um, a lot of the house tells its own story. Um, if people have questions, the guides there, uh, will be able to dive into more specifics on rooms and furniture and, and restoration and things like that. But when you walk through, the house on a standard tour. There are lots of posters, um, newspaper clippings, sort of narratively telling the story of that night as you walk through. So you can obviously stay at the house and and drag out that experience and really dig into it. Or you can walk through and, and read what the public was able to read at the time and see how things get sensationalized while getting grounded back in the idea that Lizzie was just a young woman living in a house with, like you said, generations of 
bad juju and (laughs) trying to navigate her way out of it. We are there to facilitate the story of the house. We're not rewriting history. We are not trying to convince anyone of anything. We just see this authentic piece of history and want to lend our talents to let it tell its own story. So you're using primary documents then. You're, you're staging the primary document in the space. Is that the yeah. idea? Yeah. When we, uh, when we purchased the house, they I don't know if they're original newspaper clippings. They may be reproductions, but they are posted around the house um, with information from the trials and information about Lizzie's childhood. So it really it is a really unique blend of a bed and breakfast and a museum because you can sleep there, but there are essentially exhibits every corner that you go around. Yeah. So, so folks are, I, I guess I didn't, that wasn't clear to me. So folks are still, you could still sleep at the Borden house. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. We haven't taken over operations just yet. Okay. We're still um, in the process. We want to make it as smooth of a transition for the employees as possible and integrate our new ideas with the great work that they've already been doing. So it's been a bit of a slow process, just, passing over ownership, but it is still open. People are still sleeping there. Um, your plan is to stop the sleepovers or what do you think? No, no, absolutely not. Okay. We're just, we're just working towards blending that with, with other experiences as well. I, I didn't ask this. Is this a big house? How many rooms do we have in the boarding house? Oh, that's a very good question. I think you need to give me an exact number, Azar, but I mean, roughly, I mean, how many, is it like three or four different people? How many people can stay at the house? I believe it's about five rooms. Some of them are more like suites with their own bedrooms and things like that. Um, so like a standard bed and breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So uh, tell me just a little bit, just sticking with my tourism logistics, you know, nerding out here. Uh, will Do you think folks will come to this place as a destination? Because the surrounding area, you know, it's not like Gettysburg where, you know, it's right. already a national People don't, you know, growing up, we don't think, oh, I've just got to see the Borden house once before I die. Right. <laughs> well, it is close to Boston. Um, so I think, I think that the Boston tourism could trickle over. Um, and additionally, outside of just the Lizzie Borden house, there's also the Maplethorpe property, which is where she and her sister lived out their final days. That's a little bit down the street from there. And there's a cemetery where she's buried. So I think that the people that do travel to Fall River, Massachusetts, specifically to see the house, probably will have an interest in her. So you're you're really looking for the Boston, looking from a national scale, the Boston tourists maybe making a day trip or something. Right. Absolutely. So when when will the tours be? Are they nighttime tours, daytime tours? We are still working out the tour schedule. We're planning for in the evenings just because everybody likes to ghost tour better when it's a little yes. spookier out. <laughs> but there, there is a piece there balancing the privacy of the overnight guests with the curiosity of, of the walking tour guests. Yeah, it's so tricky. we're still working out the logistics of how that's going to play out. But we definitely want to have both opportunities available. And then obviously guests could come down and join in the night tours if they're staying the night already. Apologies to listeners who just wanted me to get on with the paranormal stuff. I'm sorry. I really love tourism and I love talking about it. Okay, let's get on to the paranormal stuff. So uh, we did a little bit at the beginning, so it's not like <laughs> we didn't bury the lead too hard there. Let's talk about why Why do we think Lizzie, who's there? Who do you think is there? So there are a few different uh, theories on who exactly is there. Um Lizzie, obviously, is a very popular contender. 
Uh, people have reported feeling choked while sleeping in her bed, which seems to imply that she doesn't want you there. Hmm. But on the other hand, Lizzie Lizzie ended her life in a different home. So who's to say that that's where she would return to versus a house where in theory she lived out the rest of her life in peace. But then there are her two parents who were brutally murdered there and that sort of a tragic, dramatic death um, is usually interpreted as a green light for ghosts to stick around. So it could be her father and stepdad that are still there. Hmm. And there were also... Um, There was also another tragic murder um, before Lizzie even moved in. I don't know if your if your listeners are aware of that. No, tell tell us more. But (laughs) before Lizzie was in the house, there was a relative of hers named Eliza Borden, and this goes all the way back to like I said before Lizzie even moved in. It's a very tragic story, but basically. One of Lizzie's distant relatives lived in the house in the mid-1800s, and the mother had a few young children. What has since been interpreted as postpartum depression played out with a gruesome (laughs) murder around the well outside of the back of the property. Um, Whoa, like the ring. Yes, yes. (laughs) It does feel like the ring. Wow. Um, but she actually killed her three children and later killed herself on the property. And there are a lot of reports that the children might still be hanging around. Um, the top floor is where the children played and guests are known to bring toys to play, like for the ghosts to play with. Um, while my boss was staying there, a bunch of light up toys went off when he came into the children's room. Hmm. Um, and this just, this tradition of, possible inherited madness has just really fueled the focus on the house, I think, um, especially to find out that, that the things that Lizzie did weren't the first one. It feels very Amityville. So <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot that's gone on in that house. And who knows who stuck around after all that. Yeah, my uh, psychic listeners and uh, occulty listeners may, may be thinking that there's, uh, like you said, bad juju that was lingering from the 1850s, 1860s that maybe informed right. Lizzie's decision to brutally murder her her parents right there's even a theory that the entire town of fall river is cursed whoa (laughs) there was a there was a nice little satanic panic there in the 70s so if you're looking for we are in the middle of a series on satanic panic uh ending with the QAnon. yeah well we're not in the middle i I should say my listeners now have completed that series (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah i brought it all the way from uh uh, blood libel to QAnon and and the satanic theories of QAnon. Very cool. Yeah, there were three homicides in the town um, in the 70s and 80s that were accredited to a satanic cult. Um, huh. But as I'm sure your listeners know, that's that's a big maybe on whether or not it's a satanist <laughs> or not. So yeah, I'll leave that up to you guys to decide. We'd probably say unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sometimes people, I think, would you know, LARP or cosplay Satan, Satanism, you know, but we're not actually uh, engaged in any serious way in anything we'd call satanic or occult. Absolutely, no, I I agree wholeheartedly. But the entire town and the house specifically has this this spooky vibe that I think that that paranormal tourists could enjoy, and especially if they wanted to take the tour beyond 
just the house and, and go dig into these other crimes that were committed more recently, there's a lot to there's a lot to research and think about. It feels like a sleepy hollow experience almost to me, the sort of New England atmosphere and oh, yeah. <laughs> spooks around every corner. Right. <laughs> so I, I'm guessing you guys want to be uh, re- well underway by the fall. I think that'll probably be a popular time. Yes, yes. We're hoping to have lots of fun, exciting new things to announce around Halloween. So uh, if we can nerd out on the paranormal a bit more, uh, what's going on as far as confirming, right? If we we got my paranormal investigators listening, we have a broad audience here, Azar. So uh, those folks might be wondering, uh, how are we confirming these experiences? Because feeling like you're being choked is one thing, but, you know, we like to look for photographs and sounds and recordings. What's what's going on there? So we don't tend to do the ghost hunting side of things. We leave that up to our guests and visitors to decide for themselves whether or not an experience is actually happening. We do have recorded tours where we've caught orbs and and things like that that you can accredit to the paranormal, but we are more there to facilitate individual ghost hunting. If that's what you want to do, if you want to come into the house and try and find evidence, then we're going to make it as pleasant of a of an experience as we can and let you guys go at it. Um, We're not here to prove that ghosts exist or don't exist. We're just here to tell the stories that have been passed down and let people decide for themselves if, if they believe that there's ghosts hanging around or if it's just kind of a creepy old house that you might want to stay in for a weekend. Uh, I, what I discovered, and this is something I wrote about when I, uh, well, something I published about is that when you get these pieces of evidence from tourists, mm-hmm. often, you know, when you own a site or, you know, when you're touring a particular area, I have discovered in Gettysburg anyway, in particular, that they tend to hang the photographs or that the guides will walk around with these, uh, pieces that the, um, tourists have captured. Uh, do you anticipate that sort of thing happening? know that our tour guides will be walking around with evidence. Um, I think that would be a a conversation that guests would probably have with their tour guide afterwards if mm-hmm. they were interested in maybe seeing what's been captured. I mean, we'll share things on social media if we get them submitted by guests, but we are very aware of the power of suggestion <laughs> and <laughs> just presenting these haunted locations and letting people decide if if they're cold because a ghost passed through their body or if they are in fight or flight mode because they're just nervous to be in the location of a murder, uh, we want our guests to feel free to create their own experience regardless of where they are with us. And that, and that goes for the Lizzie Borden house too. That's interesting. So you want them to sort of come in cold. You don't want to prime them with any expectation. No, I mean, they, I won't say they won't get primed by this, by the, the stories that they get told while they're walking through the house. Because our storytellers are great at bringing history to life. But um, no, we we want people to have an authentic experience. And if that authentic experience is just them leaving with a better understanding of the history of this house, then we're happy. If they leave and they're convinced somebody grabbed them in the middle of the night and they like that, then we're happy for that too. Um, we're just here to present things as they are and and let people create their own experiences. So you won't be foregrounding the paranormal for the most part. You won't be saying, you know, in this corner, we've really been getting some neat photographs or this room over here, any of that kind of stuff. I think it'll be a mix. Once we take over and our, our guides um, have their own experiences, we definitely don't want to limit their ability to share what they've experienced um, in the house or on tours or anything like that. But first and foremost, we're just going to lay out the history of the house. 
History then, first, paranormal second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But and I think that goes back to that respect piece that that we talked about because even walking through a house that old, I think it's important for visitors to retain that that sense of respect for history and if they're walking through looking at the house and somebody jumps from around a corner to scare them, it kind of, it diminishes that respect. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. The, the sort of costuming of it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, uh, tell me what, what's, what's the grand opening going to look like? I am not free to talk about the grand opening oh. just yet. <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of exciting unannounced plans for the house. Very cool. So we're kind of tiptoeing around what all we want to release right away. Okay. Because we don't want to jump into it with too many new projects jumping off. Um, so we have like a soft open? You're, is, is it currently your prop? It's your property. What, what happens next? Probably a soft opening is what it'll look like. We're still navigating what tourism looks like during COVID, especially in an enclosed space. Yeah. We have a lot more freedom with what we can do on our outdoor walking tours, but with people um, still, be, still being vigilant about the pandemic, um, we're navigating crowds and, and how much exposure we can really have taking on a property at, at this time in the world when everything is so crazy. But there will at least be a soft opening with some fun events. Right now, we're we're hosting a giveaway um, for two guests to stay for two nights in the house, plus $500 towards their travel expenses when booking a tour. Hmm. Um, so if you enter, if you register for any of our tours in any of our cities and put in the promo code BORDEN, you'll be entered to win a free stay. And that's sort of wrapped up in our soft opening. Okay, so COVID's really thrown a monkey wrench into things, right? Yes, for a lot for a lot of different people in the tourism industry, but especially, yeah, moving from from a primarily outdoor operating walking tour um, to bringing people into a house and navigating occupancy laws and things like that. Um, it's been a process. <laughs> we have lots of exciting things planned. We're just still chugging through the logistics of it all. Did you acquire the property during COVID? So it was a fairly recent purchase. Um, it was on the market for a couple of months, and we just took over operations about a month ago. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> the hope has always been that uh, COVID would abate and we can go back to normal. Right. <laughs> right. And we're still keeping our fingers crossed for that. But if not, we're getting real good at live streams. So. <laughs> well, let's talk broadly for a second just about the folks who are going on the tours. What? What makes sure. folks satisfied with, with an experience on a ghost tour, do you think? That's a good question. I think that people come into ghost tours with varied expectations. Um, even just on a, on a people level, tourists are looking for something different than locals are. And we do have a lot of locals who go on tours of our cities. And locals are looking for accurate rep- representation of the place where they live and historic, historical accuracy in our accounts of the paranormal reports and tourists are looking for an understanding of a new place that they're visiting. Um, Sure. It's great to know ghost stories of Savannah when you're staying there for the weekend, but it's also nice to know a little bit about the architecture and, and just the history of the city itself. So I don't know that there's one good answer for what people expect to get on a ghost tour. Um, I think that there are those coming in looking for their own evidence that ghosts exist. I think that there are tourists who enjoy history and maybe a little bit of the darker side of history. And then there are people who really just want to see a show. And our storytellers, many of them come from acting backgrounds. 
So they're great at bringing that story to life. So I think everyone comes in with a different checklist of what they expect on the tour. And we try to hit as many of the bases as we can. What do folks complain about? Oh, good question. <laughs> what, do people, what do people not complain about? I know, I know. <laughs> Believe me, we're an, we're an internet business here, Ezra. We get right. a lot of complaints. <laughs> right. Um, in my time with the company, most of the complaints have been just surrounding finding the tours. Um, people don't tend to arrive early for things. Um, <laughs> and our tours, I mean, we have a whole group of people. We don't want to make them wait 20 minutes for a single person. So people complain a lot when tours leave on time. Um, <laughs> they don't seem to like that. Um, and there's there's always a bit of a learning curve with new guides. So yeah. with us expanding so quickly, we've been actively recruiting guides for all of our cities. And um, sometimes people go in there to give their first tour, maybe a little more confidently than they should. And, and it just doesn't, it doesn't work out the way that they planned. More, what do you mean more confidently than they should? They overperform <laughs> well, it? They start telling lies? What, what's going on? Just sort of losing track of the story as they're going through it uh, and um, and not being willing to backtrack, I think. And not lying, but sort of losing themselves along the way. They get too often a tangent. Right. Which I completely understand because I feel like all I've done is give you tangents this whole time. <laughs> no, this is... But I'm not a tour guide, so... <laughs> uh, I, di- I did work as a tour guide in Gettysburg. was part of my research. I started my research and then to fully understand the business, I, I took a job as a tour guide. I, one of the jokes we would tell is, um, you know, the tourists would come up to you and ask you when the eight o'clock tour starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I think people turn their brains off when they're on vacation. And, oh, absolutely. They just... What a nice thinking. thing to be able to do that, though. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I'd love to turn my brain off and go on a tour. What I discovered when I started was that I would tell stories very quickly. Oh, yeah. I, w- I would get through, you know, like 20 stories in a tour, whereas the more experienced guide would do 10 stories. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think even as, it, you know, even after, after I've been done it for doing it for a few years, and I went back to Gettysburg quite a bit, I would still do... I, I just love to get as many stories in as possible. <laughs> I, you can do that effectively, or you can do the slower story effectively. The, Im- the important thing is that you got to engage the audience, right? Right. Absolutely. We try to give our tour guides a chance to expand on their stories. Most of our tour, the standard tour is an hour, mm-hmm. and they usually hit about eight locations or stories. And then we offer an extended version that's another 30 minutes and a few more stops. So we do try to keep people from from like you said, rapid firing off stories that might not have the same staying power as one that's explained a little bit more thoroughly. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't want people to get too bogged down with with a single story that they might not even find interesting. We want to make sure that they have they have time to get through all of them and and hear a variety of of experiences in the city. Yeah, pacing is tricky, isn't it? Pacing is a tricky thing. It is. I do not envy our guides at all. So what happens when you're a guide? Do you get stories? Like, how do you get yep. started as a guide? So we we send training manuals. We make sure that they're versed in the history. They practice um, giving the presentations. And I think everybody kind of starts with the same raw materials. And that's where the, the performer aspect of it comes into. The inflection and the gesturing with their hands. And every every guide makes a tour their own. But we do provide the basic stories, um, 
hopefully they collect more stories of their own along the way and experiences that they have giving their tours. But we definitely focus on on getting our guides um, versed in the local history. So the guide's supposed to tell uh, a certain narrative, and then if they have some of their own stuff, they can add that to your company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. If you're doing if you're doing a walking tour of Gettysburg and you see a full soldier in uniform, <laughs> I would love for you to mention that. <laughs> tell that story. I think people like that personal piece of it. I mean, you have a professional guiding you through haunted locations. I think it's natural to want them to have have some of their own stories to kind of reinforce the authenticity of the experience. Yeah, that was one of the the first article I wrote on ghost tourism was essentially that, that guides need to, if not believe in the ghosts that they're talking about, they need to at least be ambivalent about it. One of the guides I worked with said, nobody wants to take a tour with somebody who knows they're shoveling a load at these people. Right. At the very least, you should believe the people that tell you that they had that experience. Yeah, yes. So- how do you ferret that out when you're hiring people? Um, the easiest way is to post a job and say that you are telling ghost stories. The ghost people will find you and they will believe <laughs> and they will tell you adamantly how much they believe. It's self-collecting. Yeah. Yes. And we like that. We like that passion that comes into it because it, it does give us people with open minds and beyond just reciting any old um, script that you could get that passion definitely lends itself to a better performance. Let me toggle out one more time for uh, for some concluding thoughts here. So now dark tourism, you mentioned earlier, some of my listeners may not be familiar with the term. Uh, a quick definition of dark tourism for us, if you don't mind. Oh gosh, for me? <laughs> I can do it if you want. <laughs> How about you go first? And okay. I'll, I'll add a there you go. <laughs> That's fine. So dark tourism... <laughs> Uh, would be anytime somebody tours a site because something bad has happened there. Um, could be a toxic tour or a Hurricane Katrina tour uh, or a battlefield tour. If it's a site of death or disaster, then that's a dark tourism destination. So 9-11 would be uh, a dark tourism destination. So would Gettysburg. But what we say is darker tourism is the tourism that is closer in time to us. So that would mean it's right. more disturbing, more creepy. So the 9-11 site would be darker than Gettysburg, but both are dark. Sure. Take the words <laughs> right out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> well, so <laughs> when you pick sites, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but but going back to mm-hmm. that, are you looking for dark tourism sites or not necessarily? Because Savannah is not necessarily a dark tourism site in and of itself. Depends who you ask. Some pretty dark things happened in Savannah. Well, I mean, as a city, right? <laughs> Any, right. Every city is going to have uh, good and uh, dark and, and not so dark. But right. um, is that what you're looking If you say we're going to do Savannah, you're doing Savannah both because it has dark and because it doesn't. If you do Gettysburg, that, mm-hmm. that town is only a tourism destination because 20,000 people died there. Sure. I think we just, we look for the narrative first before before we look to put a label of how dark it is on top. Um, I mean, there are places that horrible things have happened um, that don't have much more to say than that. Because you say Gettysburg is only an attraction because there was so much death, but it was also, I mean, coming from Colonial Williamsburg, that early American history is a drawing point for a lot of people, not just um, not just because of the tragedy that's been there, but I think it's nice with a country as new as America to focus on 
the historical places that we do have. And it just kind of works out that older cities or cities that have been well recorded tend to have more paranormal experiences. Um, so we don't go into it looking for darkness necessarily. We just look to see where there are good, compelling stories to tell that might include some ghosts because people like ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I mean by Gettysburg is that um, we memorialize the site because it was the bloodiest occasion. So afterwards, maybe sure. what you guys are trying to do with the Borden house you know, the, the bloodiness is what made it uh, a household name. And then right. afterwards, I mean, today to go to Gettysburg is also to go and essentially tour the memorial site for the entire Civil War. So it's right. more than just the battle itself. Most people go to Gettysburg to remember that entire time period. Exactly. Does that sound like yeah. what you want to do with Borden? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, like we discussed earlier, the entire town is so fascinating. And I think that there's this shift in focus, um, like with the Main Street programs and the revamping of all of these localized festivals and social media has just opened the door for so much more record keeping and, and awareness building for local history. So we definitely want to tell the story of the Bordens, but we also are very excited to be a part of this community and to celebrate what makes the town special. and to bring more people there, to promote tourism, to help locals learn the story of their own town. Um, it's it's a mix, I think, between between just the compelling nature of the house and the things that happen there and just an opportunity to be part of a story that's been told and will continue being told after we're gone. What do you think it draws us to this particular story. Just your your own opinion. Why why Lizzie Borden? This is not the only axe murderer in the 19th century. This is not right. the only murder. It's not the only female murderer. What, what is it about Lizzie Borden? I think Lizzie Borden was one of the first truly sensational true crime stories that we had. Uh, we didn't have a Jack the Ripper. We didn't have evil to look at and to grapple with the nature of what makes people do that? And if Lizzie didn't do it, who did do it? And how could something like that happen in your own home? How can a place where you were raised as a child turn into a place where people lay on a couch and pretend to be your dead dad? I think it's just, it's interesting the ways that the domestic, especially with Lizzie being a woman, the mix of domestic and violence in that way and all of the media coverage that it got. And technically it's still unsolved with Lizzie never being charged with anything, it's still an unsolved mystery in America. Could still be the maid who did it. Right? <laughs> or the brother. He's a popular contender, too. Oh, how about that? <laughs> uh, my name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors. You've been listening to my conversation with Azor Hall of U.S. Ghost Adventures at the Lizzie Borden House. Azor, could you tell uh, folks if they would like to get in touch with uh, U.S. Ghost Adventures or uh, go on the board and tour. What, what's your deets? Absolutely. So you can find us at usghostadventures.com. Right when you go to our website, the very top has all of our information about the Lizzie Borden house and our um, recent acquisition of the property, as well as our giveaway. If you're interested in staying, you can find more details on how to book a ghost tour in one of our cities. We have cities all across the country. And that promo code Borden enters you to win a two-night free stay and some help with transportation. So anything from booking a ghost tour 
to learning more about Lizzie's house, to joining us as a tour guide. You can find all of that at usghostadventures.com. Well, I really want to thank you for joining us today. This was a fun conversation. Uh, I love talking about tourism and ghosts. <laughs> and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you could tell. I, I, this is my oh, favorite thing it. to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I've long since moved on to other research topics. But, you know, the, the, your first love, right, is always special. Oh, absolutely. I started out at Colonial Williamsburg as an interpreter. So oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. How about that? So, but you don't want to be a tour guide anymore, huh? You don't want to tell stories in the boarding house? Maybe you might be tempted. It could be fun. We we talked through who on our staff would would be a live-in um, member of the Lizzie Borden team, and it, it crossed my mind. I don't know if I'm that committed, though. I'm a little scared. <laughs> well, before we started recording, you mentioned you have uh, a three-year-old. Would you be uh, at all weary of having your three-year-old living in the Borden house? I, I don't know who would bother who more, the spooky ghost children turning on the toys or her screaming. I think she would give them a run for their money. <laughs> new uh, new meaning to the term waking the dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, Azir. Uh, it's really been a fun conversation. Um, thank you all for listening to Occult Confessions. <laughs>